You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Wednesday, October 19th. Wealthy crypto investors are dumping a bunch of money into U.S. politics, especially going into November's congressional elections. How much money? Well, over the past 15 or so months, crypto-affiliated donors have sent more than $70 million to political causes. That's way more than even what traditional players like Defense and Big Pharma are spending. Perhaps to no one's surprise, one of the most prolific donors here is none other than Sam Bankman-Fried, the billionaire co-founder of FTX. Bankman-Fried isn't afraid to spend big. He said that he could deploy up to a billion dollars on the 2024 presidential election. Joining me now to discuss how crypto is shaping the U.S. political landscape are Zach Cohen from Bloomberg Government. Everybody, regardless of party, has to say not just what they have in terms of crypto, obviously, but in terms of cash, real estate, if their spouses have trust funds or pensions, you name it. And Bloomberg campaign finance reporter Bill Allison. I can't tell you how many variations of Sam Bankman's Fried's name <laughs> occur, uh, including Where is Sam the hyphen? Friedman Bank yeah. <laughs> and uh, all kinds of other things. Bill, Zach, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome to The Crypto Show. This is going to be a, a U.S. politics intensive episode, which kind of feels appropriate because for many people, you know, they're paying attention to the fact that we're about to enter like another season of having to think about what we want our elected officials to look like in a very consequential year. There are some people in crypto who have very strong opinions on Twitter <laughs> about politics, but there are also some people in crypto who are deploying not just opinions, but actually like, significant money. Bill, what is going on with donations from the crypto sector to some of these political races? Well, it's really, it's exploded in, in this cycle. Uh, it's gone from crypto barely having a footprint in politics at all. There were a couple of people who made some super PAC donations, but it was, you know, in the ocean of money in 2020. It wasn't, you know, as a drop in the bucket. But now they're their own ocean. They've put, put in $73 million, which is you know, so far, that's, that's roughly through June 30th of this year. We're getting quarterly reports in the middle of next week. 
That's more than the oil and gas industry has put into politics so far this year. That's more than defense. That's more than the transportation sector. So they've really put a lot of money into uh, the political system, and they're really focusing on congressional races and trying to influence the outcome of those races. Why? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it's, 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 uh, and I think the answer is, though, it's always good to have friends in Washington. I mean, there's, there's a number of different reasons that these folks have been saying, including things like they're looking for people who focus on long-term policies, they're looking for people who are ready for the next pandemic, or they you know, are being prepared for it. They're looking for people who focus on different kinds of issues. But the thing is, if I'm a member of Congress and you spend a million dollars electing me because you like my positions on pandemics and you want to talk to me about crypto industry regulation, I'm going to let you in the front door. <laughs> so it sounds to me like there's kind of a mix of people, perhaps individuals, you know, so when you talk about long-term thinking and the next pandemic, that's definitely Sam Bankman-Fried, who has been very clear that those are two of his his significant priorities. But there are also people who are trying to influence individual races. Am I understanding this correctly? Sam Bankman-Fried has his own super PAC. He's given about $41 million. So that's like a big chunk of that $73 million we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He has his own super PAC called Protect Our Future, and that's the one that's focusing on pandemic preparedness. But he's played in 18 Democratic primary races, and his candidates, the candidates he backed, have won 16 of them. And a lot of them are safe Democratic seats. So there will be 16 members of the next Congress, assuming that all of them win. It's always possible, of course, that all of them won't. That'll be 16 people that he helped back who won their elections. There's Ryan Salame, who's the his co-CEO at FTX. He played in Republican races. The 15 races he played in, he backed 13 candidates who will all be running in relatively safe Republican districts. So what they've done is, in essence, is, is to try to put a finger on the scale. You know, in a, in a lot of these House races, you spend like, you know, a half million dollars. That's a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. And to influence the outcome so that a candidate that they're friendly towards uh, has a chance to go to Washington in November. In other words, these are people who will potentially take their calls at least exactly when when things when things are important and there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons why a savvy CEO or co-CEO of a crypto exchange might want to be calling politicians but then Zach I'm going to go to you because there are also races where it's like kind of less obvious <laughs> why someone might be getting support from the crypto sector what's happening in New Hampshire yeah, New Hampshire uh, had a really unusual number of Bitcoin enthusiasts running in a couple of races for the House and the Senate leading up to last month's primary in, in New Hampshire uh, that are running against Senator Maggie Hassan or to challenge uh, the two Democrats in the House, Chris Pappas or uh, Anne-Marie McLean Custer. Mm-hmm. These races didn't get a lot of spending by the people we've been talking about, the Sam Bakeman Freeds of the world but were actually enthusiasts of their own and actually owned a, a significant amount of Bitcoin. One of them, a guy named Bruce Fenton, was running for the Republican nomination for Senate and recently disclosed having at least five, six million dollars worth of Bitcoin because he works in the digital assets realm. And I actually asked him about this. We met up in Manchester after one of the debates. And I said, why, why do you live in New Hampshire? And how does that sort of inform what you do uh, in this political campaign, he goes, oh, it makes you know some sense that I would want to be in New Hampshire. It's the live free or die state. And that's a pretty typical answer that I got from a lot of those candidates. Bill, what makes a pack super <laughs> compared to, you know, just a person who's like, I've got a personal 10 million? 
Sure. Well, there's there's all kinds of different PACs, and a super PAC is something it can take unlimited contributions from individuals, corporations, labor unions. You know, it can accept one million dollar checks, ten million dollar checks, and it can spend unlimited sums on candidates. The only thing it can't do is coordinate with the candidate. So, a super PAC can't say to a candidate, you know, would it help you if we ran an attack ad on your opponent saying this, or would you prefer us to say that? They can't coordinate strategy, but a lot of times, you know, wink and a nudge, you know, they they get the idea of what uh, the candidate needs. And this is where you see, like, you know, a ton of money pouring into the system. But there are also the crypto industry. I mean, we shouldn't just limit ourselves to the big guns. I mean, they've also started organizing the way that, you know, traditional companies do. You know, Coinbase has its own pack. Mm. Uh, the Blockchain Association just started a pack that has, you know, folks from Kraken on its board and various different other crypto exchanges and, and, and companies. And these are the kinds of organizations, the tr- traditional corporate PAC that can take a $5,000 contribution per year from an individual, and it can give $5,000 per election to a member of Congress. Mm-hmm. And that kind of money is just as important. I mean, members of Congress like hard money, that was, <laughs> which we call it. You know, They can use it in their campaigns. It's completely unrestricted. They don't have to worry about coordination rules or anything else. And you see also like a lot of donors to campaigns from the crypto industry. Not all of them are are from super PACs. You know, like Chris Larson of Ripple Labs has given like about 615,000. Mike Novogratz from Galaxy has given 650,000. You know, and this is across different, you know, some of it's to candidates, some of it's to political parties. There's a little super PAC money that they've given, but for the most part, they're spreading money around to members of Congress. I suppose one of the other types of, you know, quote-unquote traditional giving is people affiliated with certain companies giving money to candidates. Like not, so, you know, Coinbase employees, for example, in the same way that Google employees or Apple employees might, you know, register for certain parties and, and, and do that as well. In situations like this, is it common for the company to sort of issue guidance on, like, we would really like if you supported XYZ candidate, or is it that it just shows up as this is my employer and this is who I'm giving money to. Yeah, there's limits on what corporations can do to influence their employees to donate, but they can certainly signal by the PACs donations and mm-hmm. by, you know, if they invite a lawmaker to visit the corporate headquarters, that's a pretty clear signal that you know, they'd like the employees to donate. There's a lot of different things they can do. You know, they can't tell an employee to donate to this member of Congress or that would be a violation, but they can certainly indicate that this is somebody that we support with the implication being you should support him too. This is the wink. This is the nudge. Coinbase actually in September said it was going to be adding a scorecard for politicians in the Coinbase app. And what they mean is we're going to highlight Republicans. (laughs) um, They're judging people based on their crypto friendliness. And as I'm sure you've both encountered, a lot of that explicit crypto friendliness is really coming more from in these races, especially like the Republican side of the house. Zach, when you were on the road, did you encounter any folks who were like, I'm a Democrat, but I'm really into Bitcoin, so I'm going to vote for this person who's also into Bitcoin because, you know, live free or die? Or was it more that these were primarily people who were Republicans voting Republican and the person's crypto preferences didn't sway them one way or another? It was really more Republicans that had more openness to crypto. It sort of tapped into that sort of libertarian ethos, not just in New Hampshire, but I think in the Republican Party, 
more broadly. And I think that's something I heard over and over again from candidates mm-hmm. you know, saying that this is a, a, a form of currency or a form of trading that so far has escaped government regulation is therefore kind of attractive mm-hmm. to, to someone of sort of my ideology. And in fact, the opposite is happening on the Democratic side where you've got Senator Maggie Hassan, who's this Democrat that a couple of these candidates are running against or were trying to get the nomination to run against. And she's been very skeptical of, of cryptocurrency exchanges especially after there was this town in southern New Hampshire, Petersburg, I believe it was called, where millions of dollars of it were stolen and then turned into uh, cryptocurrency and, and locked into you know a part of the blockchain that law enforcement couldn't get a hold of and is now sort of you know, raising awareness and trying to get law enforcement to try to crack down on illicit groups' access to these kinds of cryptocurrency exchanges. So it, I think you're actually seeing sort of a partisan divide, at least in New Hampshire. It might right. be different other places, but that's what I saw. Up next, more from Zach Cohen and Bill Allison on how crypto money is shaping U.S. politics. We'll be right back. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Bill, when Zach is talking about, you know, things being locked up and impossible to access, it makes me think of what you have to go through to get the data (laughs) that you provide for these stories. Just so our listeners know, how actually do you find out that, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried has donated X millions of dollars to a particular candidate or cause? Well, super PACs and, and other political committees, they have to report to the Federal Election Commission on, you know, monthly or quarterly schedule all of their donors and and also how they spend their money. And so these come in these huge FEC files and it's basically downloading this massive file and going through it with a, a program to kind of pull out like strings of names and things like that. And that's kind of how you find it. Although it's, you know, none of this stuff is necessarily um, organized very well. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many variations of Sam Bankman's Freed's name <laughs> occur, uh, including Where is Sam the Friedman Bank yeah. <laughs> and uh, all kinds of other things. So, so you know, you have to kind of be prepared for all of these these oddities. But uh, but they also list their employer and their um, occupation. So you'll find a lot of names that way. Like somebody may just, you know, list themselves as like uh, self-employed, but they'll put down crypto <laughs> as their occupation. So uh, so that'll give you a clue that maybe this is somebody you should investigate or look at. And, you know, Zach, when you were trying to figure out that this candidate in New Hampshire had several million dollars worth of Bitcoin, was it a similar process for you? It used a slightly different database. The, all candidates for federal office, Senate or House, have to disclose their personal assets at some point before the election. Uh, Bruce Fenton, that sort of Republican Senate candidate I talked about earlier, was actually kind of late to (laughs) disclosing his, but actually eventually did. But everybody, regardless of party, has to say not just what they have in terms of crypto, obviously, but in terms of cash, real estate, if their spouses have trust funds or pensions, you name it as a way of 
increasing transparency and making sure people don't have conflicts of interest. That was where I was able to get most of that information. And to be quite honest, a lot of these people wear it on their sleeves. A lot of them put hashtag Bitcoin in their Twitter handle (laughs) or in their or in their Twitter bio. So that's where I found a good chunk of these people. But certainly there there are disclosures that they are mandated to make, and that's where I found a good chunk of them. Do the trends in giving in cycles ahead of a presidential election ever say anything about whether you're going to see a surge in donations for the presidential election? Is it like, you know, there's like a bunch of attention to house races, which means there's going to be even more money on the presidential? Or are they kind of like decoupled from each other? Generally speaking, you know, the the... The presidential cycles cost about twice as much as the congressional cycles. Mm-hmm. And if we start seeing, you know, these these midterms costing as much as presidential cycles, then, um, you know, I, I, I really, I shudder to think what the next <laughs> presidential cycle is going to look like. You're both like not getting any sleep for two years. <laughs> I, I'm just glad I don't have to count this stuff with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, especially not for digital assets, right? We got to we got to like keep it on the blockchain. Um, well, <laughs> terrific, Bill, Zach. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Anytime. You can find more of Zach and Bill's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, or follow them on Twitter. Zach is at Zachary underscore Cohen. That's Z A C H A R Y underscore C O H E N. And Bill is at Bill underscore Allison. That's B I L L underscore A-L-L-I-S-O-N. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, hey, are you a chief metaverse officer? If so, please email me on crypto at Bloomberg.net because I have questions. For everyone else, tune into the next episode when we talk about what corporations are doing in the metaverse. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.